watched it backstage so I could actually see it. First service, I'm like, am I going on forever? And then I love where I'm blabbing on and the, the kids have the stuffed dog going blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that was classic. <laughs> but again, if you're interested in more information about children's ministry, check the tables on your way out. Now let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, we've been studying, really, as Paul explains, what the church is all about, and, and really what the Christian life is all about. And he shared the gospel and how important it is, just the grace of God, the fact that we can't do anything to earn our standing with God, but that all we need to do is acknowledge what he has done for us and receive the work that he wants to do for us. It's so different than the typical religious idea that you need to be good enough in order to make God like you. Paul's message has been really clear. God has already done everything you need to be done in Jesus Christ, and you just need to be aware of that and respond to it. And It's a powerful message. Before he goes on to the um, last three chapters of the book that have a little bit more of a practical emphasis in telling how to live out that life of grace. He winds up his doctrinal section, the first three chapters, by uh, praying a prayer <coughs> for the Ephesian Christians. And this prayer to me is the ultimate prayer in the Bible. I, to me, it's one of the greatest sections in the Bible. You know, we have several prayers in the scriptures, the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, which was a little model prayer that Jesus prayed for the disciples on a couple of occasions to teach them to pray. And you have that great high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17 as he prays for the disciples. But boy, this prayer of Paul's here in Ephesians chapter 3, to me, is the greatest prayer that anyone could ever pray for you as a believer. It's a prayer that I pray for myself often. I pray it for you also as I, as I hold you up before the Lord because it gets down to really what the Christian life is all about, how it is to be lived, what it's supposed to look like, where it is supposed to develop. And, and so just a powerful prayer. Now, Paul started to, to pray this prayer at the beginning of chapter 3. He had just explained how the church is a family of God. And there in chapter 2, as he says that it's a temple of God, the church is where the world is able to come and see the Lord and where we can meet together with God. And in laying out the, the greatness of the church and, and the fact that the church has been going on for 2,000 years, it involves every facet of church history all the way up to today, and we are all in this together as a part of that which Jesus said he would build and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. And it was after that that Paul said, for this reason, in verse 1 of chapter 3, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, then he interrupted himself. And he gave those uh, teachings that we, that we saw last week. Now in verse 14, he picks up where he started. For this reason. For what reason? For the reason of what he explained the church is all about and how it's put together by the Lord and how we're all a part of it and how it's all by grace. It's not by what we can do. He says, for this reason, 
I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He begins the prayer as he prays to the Father, and he says that God the Father is the one from whom everyone who's a part of the church, whether those who are alive now or those who have gone on to be with the Lord who are in heaven, we're all a part of the family of God, and God is our Father. He isn't saying that God is everyone's Father. God is the Father. God created everyone, but He is specifically the Father of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, by that adoption, we become children of God in the greater sense and a part of His his family, as He calls it in chapter 2, the household or the family of God. So He begins this prayer in His name. And He prays that He, God, would grant you, verse 16 according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So his prayer really is for the Christians to be strong and to be strengthened from within, for that work of God that starts within us and that it would work itself out in our lives. And it's done by his strength. It's done by the power that God has and, and so he says that he would get, grant you according to the riches of his glory, strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So he's praying for them for strength. And certainly that's something that we need if we're going to live the Christian life. If our lives are going to reflect his glory, boy, we need his strength to do it. We are so weak. We, we fall so constantly. It's why we need his grace. So Paul is praying for this strength, and then as he goes through his prayer, he kind of lays out sort of how it develops. Because he says, first of all, in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love. Christ dwelling in your heart is sort of where he wants to take us. Now, the word dwell doesn't just mean as we would say, that you just live somewhere. It's not the same. The word really means to be at home with. The idea is that his goal is for us to settle down in a relationship with Jesus Christ whereby we are at home with him and he is at home with us. There's a difference between the way you live in your own household and the way that you are in your house when you entertain guests. Now, there's also something that happens when there are people who have been guests in your house enough that you're totally comfortable with them, and they don't have to come in and feel like you're going to entertain them. There are some people who come over enough and hang out with you enough that they don't really need to knock and wait for you to answer the door. They might just, hello, and walk in. And you don't say, oh, let me get your coat for you. Can I get you something to drink? They know where the refrigerator is. It's a, it's a race to see who gets to the most comfortable chair, that's all. And <laughs> you, you, you have a different sort of relationship with someone that you're really at home with. You don't feel like you necessarily have to put on a, a great face for them. They just showed up unannounced, and so you, you get what you get. 
But there's a good feeling when you have people who are at your house and you don't have to get them something. They feel comfortable enough to do that themselves. And, and you can just be yourself. You don't feel like you have to entertain them. You don't have to put something on, bring out the family vacation slides or something. No, it's just being with them. That's what you're, you're comfortable with them. And in a sense, that's what he's wanting us to have with Jesus that he would be dwelling in us, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later in the prayer, but that he will be with us in such a way that we're comfortable around him, that we don't have to put on anything for him, we don't have to play games with him, that he is comfortable with us. Now, getting comfortable with Jesus isn't the easiest thing to do, because it takes us a while before we realize he already knows everything about us. Now, we can get comfortable with people over a period of time, and we particularly do with our own family unit, because we know each other so well, there's nothing left to hide. There's nothing left to cover up. They've seen us warts and all, and, and therefore then there's a place where it's like, okay, good, I can be myself. Well, the Lord sees us completely. He knows us perfectly. He not only knows what we do and what we say, but God is someone who even knows what we think. And that'd be really scary if there were people who had that kind of knowledge of us. Because for most of us, and some people do this more than others, oh, you speak your mind on occasion, but so often you hold back what's really in your head and you don't say it. There's a disability that's a neurological disability that's called Tourette syndrome. And I've had a few friends who have had Tourette syndrome. And once you accept it, it's kind of funny, but it's, uh, people use, think that it's a disease where you cuss, but it's not really, it's not that. What it is is it's, a, it's something that causes the inhibitory functions of your brain not to function in the same way that everyone else's is. In other words, if something comes into your head, it just comes out your mouth. And there isn't any sense of, ooh, I shouldn't say this. Usually there's a sense afterwards, uh-oh, did I just say that? But it would be a rough thing. It's painful for young people who are usually the ones who get Tourette syndrome to go through that. It's usually something that you eventually outgrow. But imagine if people could always read your mind. If you would just think something and they heard you say it. How many friends do you think you would have, <laughs> really, once you would do that? It would, be, it would be miserable. I'm so thankful that people don't always know what I'm thinking. And sometimes you have a thought and you go, I didn't just say that, did I? I go, oh, good, I think I just only thought it. But the Lord knows us so well that he hears every thought that we have and amazingly still loves us. Amazingly, it doesn't turn him off. He accepts us as we are, and he loves us even when we are completely unregenerated. He's passionately in love with us. And once you recognize that, you end up being able to get comfortable with him. Once you realize, okay, nothing I've done so far, nothing I've said so far, nothing I've thought so far has turned him off, wow, I can get comfortable with him. And that's the relationship that he wants to have with us. And so in Paul's prayer, he's praying that, that 
Christ may dwell, that he will be at home in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in love, that's where it all starts, God's love for us. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is he loves me and he loves you unconditionally. And that's where the roots begin to sink in. And that's where the grounding, the stability can start to happen so that we get more comfortable with a relationship with God. So that, so that him dwelling with us doesn't become a threatening thing. He has proven his love. Over in Romans, it says that God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news, that there isn't anything you can do that will make him not love you, that there isn't anything that can happen that will make him love you more or less. He loves you completely, and that's where it starts. And for all of us, when we finally hear that message, that's what begins to open the way for us to have a relationship with God. The good news always starts with God loves you, and I think it should. Now, there are some people who say, well, the good news needs to start with you're bad and sinful. And, and uh, I, I like the fact that, well, Campus Crusade, when they... Uh, put together, Bill Bright put together his four spiritual laws. He started out, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, it's important to know this, the next part, which is man is sinful and separated from God, thus he cannot know and experience God's love for his life. That's important. But if we start with that so often, it's hard to even get to love. When Jesus was sharing with Nicodemus and telling him about being born again, he said, again, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. You have to get around to the perishing part. You have to get around to helping people to understand that if they reject his love, that they're, they're sunk. But it's so important for the rooting and the grounding to be in his love. And so the beginning for us to be able to grow, the beginning for us to be able to get comfortable in a relationship with him is for us to see that rooting and grounding in his love. That's what's so hard to accept. That's what's so hard to believe. And I want to earn it. There's something in me that wants to be good enough for God. Because the truth is, we wouldn't really know love unless it was God's love for us. Now you go, well, wait a minute. I mean, we love our kids. We love our friends. Yeah, but not quite the way God does. You'll find out that human love, no matter how great it is, almost always is conditional. You know, sure, as soon as you have a baby, you may love that baby until it gets old enough to say no or to talk back, or until it grows up and is really bratty. And then you still say you love them, but it's not quite the same. You know, everything, when you have a brand new little baby, when they spit up, it's cute, you know? After a while, it's not so cute anymore, because we aren't capable of purely unconditional love. And one thing life teaches us after we grow up for a while is, those people who love me seem to love me a lot less 
when I'm not doing what they want me to do. And, and they seem to love me more if I'm doing what they want me to do. And so life trains us, basically, to conform, to please others. And many of us become almost diseased with a, with a need to please others that comes from our learning that you need to earn love. That message gets communicated. Now, into that kind of life comes this message of good news that, hey, you don't have to earn this. You mean if I'm bad, he'll still love me? Absolutely. Just as much. It won't change. You can't change his love for you. And he proved that love by dying while we were yet sinners, Romans 5.8 says. That's how we know love. That's how we really discover love. And those are the roots of what become the Christian life. And there isn't any other way that we can understand love other than to see his. Because that person in your life who loves you, they may love you a lot, but go ahead and treat them really miserable for even an hour. And you'll see they sure are acting like they love you less. Because that's just kind of what life does. But Paul is here saying, you have been rooted and grounded in his love. He has offered his love to you purely and unconditionally. And then his prayer, the meat of his prayer is, being rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That word for comprehend means to take something eagerly. It means to really get a grip on it, to really have a solid understanding of it. And this is the essence of his prayer, that the people that he's praying for, in this case the Ephesian Christians, would be able to comprehend something that's really incomprehensible in its totality. It's not something that you can know completely. It's something that you will continue to learn but the essence of it is you need to stretch your understanding of how much God loves so that you will get a grip on the breadth and length and depth and height of the love of God. Why is that so important? Why is it difficult, first of all? Well, it's difficult because it's hard for me to fathom a love that has no limits because my love, like yours, tends to be more or less conditional. God's love isn't. You can't earn it. But it's important that we get a hold of that and continue to get a hold of it because he wants his love to become more a part of our lives. He wants that fruit of the Spirit, which is love, to be more and more reflected in who we are. That's how you get at home with him, is recognizing the magnitude of his love, the depth and the breadth of his love. And so that's always our need. Now, when we talk about grace, when we talk about gospel, when we talk about good news, invariably people have a problem with this concept. And as we've been studying it on Wednesday night in the book of Romans and on Sunday mornings in the book of Ephesians, I've had several people who've come up and kind of, they ask the question differently, but uh, there was one last week where they worded it, I thought, really well. They just said, I have a friend who says she's a Christian, and she's living 
in sin with the guy. They're not married, and she's just living. They're living together, and and she basically isn't really bothered by it, and she just says, "Hey, it's God's grace. Jesus forgives me, and I'm walking in His grace, and so I'm okay." And always the implication to that is, and here's what we want to do in our flesh. We've all seen people who do that. Oh, the grace of God, I'm just going to do what I want. Now, for me, the natural response is, okay, I think we've gone too far with grace. I better start talking about the law. I better start nailing them with some rules. Hey, don't get the idea that God's unconditional love means you can continue to do this and he'll still love you. Whoops, isn't that what it means? But anyway, you need to be good. And you start to pound them with the law. And that's so often what we try to do. But see, the truth is, if you, Jesus died to deliver us from the power of sin. Sin is what destroys us. Sin is doing the things that will destroy us, okay? It's not, sin isn't breaking God's rules. God tells us to do things because those things are good for us, and he tells us not to do other things because those things are bad for us. Now, when we don't grasp his love for us, so often we continue to be enslaved by sin. Now, what I need at that point is not the law, what I'm doing is I'm demonstrating if that's the way I'm living, if my life doesn't even look like Jesus at all, then what I'm really proving is I don't get it that he loves me. I'm really not getting this message. Because if you really understand the depth and breadth and height of his love, that has a change. There is a, a power there. Something happens. You respond to that kind of love. And so what does someone need who, who is hanging on to grace but walking in sin? Do they need more of the law? Nope, they need God's grace. See, the Bible tells us that it's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. If you're walking in sin, you don't understand his love. You still don't get the gospel. When you get it, when you comprehend it, when it, when it becomes inculcated into your, your being, then it does change you. It always does, and it happens very naturally. And so here Paul is saying, this is what they need. And this is what we need to pray for each other. This is what we need to pray for ourselves every day. God, please help me to comprehend your love. Please help me to see your love. It's not always easy to see because there are so many people around us who, who don't get it and, and who don't show it. And so often we don't feel it either. But to be able to comprehend that is what changes lives. That's what makes all the difference. Now, notice he says to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height of the love of Christ. See, that's an interesting thing. I can't really learn God's love until I learn it with other people. It's only with other Christians that I really discover his love. And it works in a couple of ways. I mean, if you're only isolated and you're not allowing yourself to be loved by others, you're missing a part of 
what God wants to do. In the body, we care for each other. There are some people who, the way they treat me just helps me to see God's love. And as I'm with them and I see the way they're treating others, I I witness God's love. It teaches me a lot. But even more than that, in my own life, see, if I'm only dealing with God just one-on-one, I can't get the breadth of his love. And here's why. I'll let you in on a secret. This is probably true of you too, though. The truth is, I really do kind of think I'm better than most people. That's why we have arguments, because when you have an argument, it's because you think you're right. Another person thinks they're right. The truth is, I do think I'm right. That's why I do what I do, say what I say. I think it's right at the time. Now, once in a while, I recognize it's obvious I was wrong. When I do, I say I'm sorry really quick, and then I feel really good about the fact that I said I'm sorry, because now I'm back on top of the heap. As somebody who means really well, as somebody whose heart's in the right place. If you don't believe me, go talk to people who are in prison. Most of them are innocent. Most of them think they didn't do anything wrong or what they've done has been, you know, misunderstood grossly. And what does this have to do with it? When I have to get along with others, now I'm stretched. Because loving someone like me, Let's say I get together with a bunch of people who are as much like me as I can find. Perish the thought. (laughs) You know, they have the same sense of humor. They like the same things. They like the same music. They're at about the same level of growth. They know the Lord in the same way. Hey, we can have a great time, and nobody's going to grow, and nobody's going to be stretched at all. But when I have to get along with people who are different than I am, who have strengths where I have weaknesses, that's a lot tougher. That's a lot more difficult. And the truth is, I'm sorry to tell you, for so many of you, it's a lot harder for me to love you than it is for me to love me. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. The reason he says that is because loving yourself is fairly easy. Now, let that be the standard. Now, can you give somebody else the same slack you give yourself? Can you love someone who's different than you are in the same way that you are so understanding of you? And when we have to get along, that forces us to be stretched. And as God says, I love you and I love them, and there you are. And, he, and you, by becoming a Christian, what you are saying essentially is, God, any friend of yours is a friend of mine. If you love them, I love them. And now you find out, gosh, most of the people that he loves are weird. (laughs) I mean, the strangest assortment of people you could put together in the world are, you know, uh, and you look at the church and you go, it looks like that bar room scene in the first Star Wars with all these monsters and everything. (laughs) You're like, how did I ever get in this club? And God says... I died for those weirdos. I love them as much as I love you. Now you better figure out how to love them. And you better be stretched. Because you thought that my love only was as big as you are. But I need you to figure out my love is much bigger than you are. I love even those that drive you nuts. Even those who are so different than you, I love them.
It's one of the reasons why we need to get a more of an international view of the church too. And it, it, it's so good for us when we go over to another country where people don't speak our language and we're reaching out to them and finding out God loves them too and having input and opportunity to make a difference for them. And when you can embrace someone as your brother or sister, though they don't speak your language and they're not a part of your culture, it stretches you and that's good for you because you realize the church isn't just you and your buddies. The church extends over 2,000 years of history and over all this world and with different kinds of people who like to worship in different ways and yet everyone who names the name of Jesus, who's put their faith in him for their salvation through the gospel and they believe that Jesus died for their sins, buried, rose again. Hey, you're all in the same family. And being told that and being taught that stretches us greatly. You know, have you ever noticed how there's someone that you had a real hard time loving, but after a while, they just grow on you? You get used to them. You go, well, that's the way he is. I just, I just know that's him, and so it doesn't bother me so much anymore. I can deal with them. And it might be hard to do that, but you end up battling through. You know what happens the next time you meet somebody like them? You go... I don't know, it's kind of easy for me to accept this guy because he reminds me so much of my friend who's just like him. And I bet when I get to know him, I'm going to feel the same way. See, we're stretched. We, we see God's love extending. And as his love extends, it changes us. It helps us to be more like him. We need that desperately because the more we accept his love, the more it changes us. And the broader that we see his love, the more prepared we are to know that we can't do anything about it. We can't earn it. It's a gift from God. And we're all in the same boat together. We're all a part of the family of God. And so we have to keep getting back to this. God, I need to see your love in a greater and greater way. Will we ever see it completely? No, certainly not, at least not until we get to heaven when we know even as we are known. Because he says, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So you can be stretched in your understanding of his love for the rest of your life, and you still won't scratch the surface. But the one thing you can't do is exaggerate his love, because it's always much greater than you think. And so he, he prays that we would just see more and more, take it to its limits. Now, when you pray this kind of prayer, one thing that you're praying is that God will bring weirdos across your path. <laughs> because every time you find somebody who's over the top, and God goes, guess what? I love her too. I died for that one also. You go, really? That, that far? That much? Yep. So stretch a little bit. Now, he says, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge in order that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the bottom line of it, that each of us would be filled with the fullness of God. 
That word fullness in the Greek, pleroma, it means the total package, everything that there is to God. It's as strong a word for full or complete that they can come up with. Now, how could I be filled with the fullness of God? Does that mean I'm going to become God someday? Or that in some mystical, sort of pantheistic way, we all just sort of blend into the same reality? No, not at all. But God is taking everything that he is and injecting it into me. We, later on, Paul's going to talk about you know, how we need to be filled with the Spirit. And you go, well, but he says, be being filled with the Spirit. It's something that is to go on constantly. Well, how do you know when you're full? Well, you don't when you stretch. If you take a balloon and you, and you push oxygen into it with a welding tank, you fill it up with, it, with oxygen, and you take the balloon and say it's this big. You go, this balloon's full of oxygen. True? Well, yeah, there's nothing in there but oxygen. Well, now I hook it up again, and I put some more in. It's still full of oxygen. As long as it's pure oxygen and it will continue to stretch, it'll be full and it will continue to be even more full. And that's how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. That's how he fills us. As we grow closer to him, as we see and learn his love more and more and learn the reality and the ramifications of his gospel, the Spirit fills us. And everything that God is becomes more and more a part of us, crowding out everything in us that isn't God. Now, we will never become God because when it comes to God, theologically, they talk about the incommunicable attributes of God and the communicable attributes of God. Now, that's just a fancy way of saying there are some of God's attributes that you can't catch. Like, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Sorry, no matter how much you're filled with the Spirit, you're not going to be everywhere. You fill yourself up with food, you'll know you're taking up greater space, but still, you will never be omnipresent. <laughs> But there are communicable attributes of God, his love, his goodness, his grace, his peace. And these are the things that he wants to puff into us by his spirit. We don't have time to turn over there, but in John 14, when Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit, he, he talked about the fact that the Father and I will be in you as you are filled with the Spirit. And so here, it's that divine presence through the Holy Spirit working in our lives as we allow him to stretch us, as we allow him to shower his love on us, to fill us with his love, that then we become more and more so that we look like him. We act like him. We think like him. We resemble him more. We'll never be him. But, beloved now, John said, now are we the sons of God, and it hasn't yet appeared what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he, God, is pure. That's what Paul's talking about, that as we keep our eyes on his love and the expanding, gracious nature of who he is, it rubs off on us. And the fullness of God is placed more and more within us as the Holy Spirit works in us and we change. Not by changing ourselves. 
not by puffing ourselves up, not by anything we do, just by looking at him, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He does the work. He started it by rooting and grounding us in his love, and he will complete it as we comprehend more and more that which is incomprehensible, the fact that God loves us and everyone else, and as we get together as a body of Christ, and we work together, that work of the Spirit happens whereby there's a fullness, a totality of who God is that becomes more and more who we are. Sounds crazy, sounds too good to be true. But as we continue reading in verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. For us to aspire to such a work of the Spirit, oh, it seems impossible. But he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. So I believe that this prayer can be answered for each of us. I believe that if we keep looking at him and praying this prayer, we will discover his love more and more. We will understand his grace to a greater depth. It will rub off on us, and we can depict it to others, and we will see ourselves grow, and we'll see ourselves looking more like him by his power, by what he can do, and he can do anything. Now, if you pray anything, Jesus said, according to his will... God's going to do it. If you're praying this prayer, don't you think that's God's will? It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I want to pray this prayer for myself. And I want other people to pray it for me too. And I want everyone to pray this for our church and for other churches, for the body of Christ around the world, that God will do the impossible and that we will more and more get it that we will comprehend, apprehend, and be dominated by the breadth and length and depth and height of the love of God. And that, by his power, works. And it will work, and it, and it always will. And that's why Paul prayed this prayer. And that's why we can't afford to get our focus off of his love. God is love. And when we stay on that, and when we see that as it expands in our awareness more and more, then by his Spirit, he does that work that changes our lives. And ultimately, we get a lot more comfortable with him being with us all the time. The fact that he reads our minds doesn't bother us anymore. The fact that he's with us always, we stop trying to impress him. We stop playing games with him. We're comfortable with him. What an awesome concept. What a brilliant idea, way to communicate. Here's what the Christian life is about. And, I, and, and one of the greatest prayers that's ever been prayed is one that you can pray every day for anyone you know, and it'll be the best thing you could ever do for them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for your love. We sometimes think we know your love. We think we get it. 
But then we live our lives in such a way that shows we obviously don't get it. Because our lives, far from reflecting the fullness of you, all too often our lives reflect the fullness of us. So help us rather than to turn to the law to try to fix us. Help us to turn repeatedly to your unfathomable love and grace. Thank you for loving us more than we can imagine. Help us to learn to imagine it more so that your love can be lived out in our lives also. It's a great plan, God. And we see it work sometimes and we wonder why we don't do it more. Help us to do it more. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, there'll be people down here in the front who would love to pray with you and lead you into a relationship with him. It sounds too good to be true, but it's, it's true. It really is. He loves you that much. So come and respond to his love and get started living a life of grace and, and of victory. And for the rest of us who learned this lesson a long time ago, memorized the verses about being saved by grace through faith and that God so loved the world.